Get ready for a one-of-a-kind experience. Welcome, welcome to the Starter Zone, your home for the weekly news from around the world. Your host for this journey, Amanda. So that totally happened. She's going to bring you everything you need to hear about entertainment, gaming, and maybe just a little bit bizarre. Hold tight, because here she comes. Well, thank you so much, Raven, for that warm, warm welcome. And hello there, my friends. Good day to you all. Welcome back to the Starter Zone. I am your guide, Amanda, and I do hope that all of you are staying warm wherever you are. Look, y'all, we had ice and snow down here in Florida last week, and you would have sworn the apocalypse was upon us. It was bad. Today is the 25th of January, and it is time to bring you the news from all of my entertainment news sources. Let's check out some of the headlines coming your way. Madonna is facing a lawsuit for being tardy to her own party, and it's not the first time. Saudi Arabia is now saying no more YouTube boxing matches. Jonathan Majors is back in the news, and he's facing some more bad news. And Alec Baldwin, he got charged again. We'll go over all that. TikTok's been hit with a lawsuit, and uh, Ubisoft just cheesed off the gamers. We've got the box office breakdown coming your way and more. Get comfy, my friends. Let's get started. Let's get this party started with some music news. Madonna is like a legend in the music industry these days. I mean, look, I grew up with her music. Her music, Madonna, they were a staple of my childhood. And now, true at that age, I didn't really understand how edgy and controversial she really was. And really didn't understand the raciness of the video for Like a Prayer. Regardless that she's been around for a long time, she's apparently developed a little bit of a reputation regarding her live shows, and she's now starting to face a little bit of legal trouble for it. All right, back on December the 13th, Madonna was scheduled to perform at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn, New York, as part of her celebration tour. And she kicked off that tour in October at London's O2 Arena. Remember, we talked about this on the show. She had to initially delay the tour because she had a pretty scary medical problem and was scheduled to start the tour back in July, but because she was hospitalized for a serious bacterial infection back in June. But I digress. So two New York City men wanted to really get in the groove at the Madonna concert. However, they're now suing the pop superstar for starting her show late because they had to get up early the next day. Very responsible of them. 
Michael Fellows of Brooklyn and Jonathan Haddon of the Bronx bought tickets for the show. The tickets said the show would start at 8.30 p.m., but Madonna didn't take the stage until sometime after 10.45 p.m. Okay, my tale is not waiting two hours and 15 minutes for this. But anyway, according to the lawsuit, the men said they were confronted with limited public transportation, limited ride-sharing, and or increased public and private transportation costs by the time the show let out at 1 in the morning. Now, perhaps encouraged by Madonna's urging to express yourself, fellows and Haddon also complained the concert was no holiday because they had to get up early the next day to go to work and take care of their family responsibilities. Now, so they're suing Madonna. They're suing Live Nation and Barclays Center for, quote, unconscionable, unfair, and or deceptive trade practices for promising the public the concert would begin at 8.30, knowing Madonna would not begin performing at the advertised start time. They're arguing this is a breach of contract. The lawsuit goes on to say, Madonna had demonstrated flippant difficulty in ensuring a timely or complete performance, and defendants were aware that any statement as to a start time for the show constitutes constituted at best optimistic speculation so they filed this lawsuit last week in brooklyn federal court and they're seeking class action status because the men said it is their belief other celebration tour concerns began similarly late but they're seeking it's unspecified how much they're seeking in this the lawsuit goes on to say based on the years-long history of madonna's arriving several hours late to prior concerts at which conduct continued at concerts in other cities after the Barclays Center, including Washington, D.C., and in Boston. The plaintiffs knew or should have known the concerts would not start at 8.30. Madonna would not take the stage until several hours after the start time, causing the plaintiffs and all class members to have to wait several hours. She's not unfamiliar with this. Now, she's faced lawsuits like this before. Back in 2019, she did another tour called the Madam X Tour, and she was sued multiple times for starting the concerts late. A Florida man by the name of Nate Hollander sued her and Live Nation in November of 2019, alleging they had moved the concert two hours later than originally planned, and it was too late for him for him to attend it. Now, he voluntarily dismissed the suit about a month later. On that same tour, though, a couple of concert goers at a show in Brooklyn, New York, filed a similar suit to the one that they just filed this week. Andrew Panos and Antonio Valletta sued Live Nation, the Brooklyn Academy of Music, and Madonna in February of 2020, claiming she didn't start her two shows at the venue until more than two hours after the list of start time on the tickets. This sounds a little bit like a pattern. Panos and Valletta had come to an unspecified settlement in July of 2020, and the lawsuit was voluntarily dismissed according to court documents. So she's got a history of this of this being late, which, okay, in my opinion, that's just plain rude. At what point do people just stop accepting this kind of behavior from celebrities? If And honestly, okay, my opinion, probably unpopular. If you've got a celebrity like this and you're a fan, and a fan to the point where you're going to want to buy tickets to go see them in concert, but you know they have this reputation of being late... Do you take the chance and show up two hours late to the venue to 
see this performer. I mean, I guess if you have assigned seating, but if it's general admission, you're going to want to get there as early as possible. I, or do you just sit there and you understand you're going to have a two plus hour wait for this this performer to take the stage? Is it really worth it? I don't know. I mean, I can't say that I, I'm as gung ho for certain performers to want to wait that long. I mean, I have some patience, but there's a limit. There is an absolute limit. My limit, 45 minutes to an hour, unless we hear, oh, yeah, there's a problem, so bear with us type of thing. But for two hours and 15 minutes plus, no, no thanks. Um, I'm not doing it. Anyway, let's go ahead and let's go check out the sports news. Y'all may remember a little while back, FSU, Florida State University, made the news cycle a little while back with the end of the college football season. So FSU ended the season with an undefeated record of 13-0, and but they were left out of the four-team college football playoff. And people were so mad. Oh, my gosh. Social media was just blowing up about how unfair it was, and it was rigged, and this, that, and the other. FSU vowed revenge, but they ended up losing the Orange Bowl 63-3 against my Georgia Bulldogs. And things over at Florida State are getting even more messy now. The Florida State Board of Trustees voted unanimously back on December the 22nd to sue the ACC, the Atlantic Coast Conference, to challenge the legality of the league's grant of rights. And it's a $130 million withdrawal fee, which is a necessary step to plot the school's future and potential exit from the conference. This is a 38-page lawsuit. It was filed in Leon County Circuit Court in Tallahassee, Florida. And it seeks a judgment against the ACC to void the grant of rights and withdrawal fee as an unreasonable restraint of trade. There's a lot more. The university is alleging chronic fiduciary mismanagement and bad faith in the way the ACC has handled its multimedia rights and agreements, and they've been undermining the members' revenue opportunities. And Florida State even went as far as accusing the ACC of breach of contract and failure to perform. Okay, deep breath. Long story short, Florida State wants to leave the Atlantic Conference, and they're having to seek legal action to make it happen because they have a contract that binds the school to this conference to together for the next dozen years. So 12 years they're supposed to stay with the ACC. Florida State wants out. Well, now the Atlantic Coast Conference is accusing Florida State of breach of contract and says that the Seminoles broke promises when they legally challenged the agreement binding the school to the league for the next 12 years. So the ACC went to a North Carolina court to bar FSU from participating in the management of the conference's affairs and has accused FSU of serial breaches of critical legal promises and obligations. It's a lot. They're just basically arguing, and it got messy. It's getting super messy. So ACC says FSU have been for its own benefit. There's no regard for the best interests of the conference. Basically, the ACC says FSU, you're being selfish. 
So Florida State breached its obligations and set up this conflict between the school and the conference, and they're trying to force a way out. The ACC is concluding that FSU shouldn't even be involved in league affairs until their conflict is resolved. FSU's one out. ACC wants control. They want their money. And so there's just, there's a lot of litigation that's got to be done. Starting with the continued debate as to where is this litigation even going to take place. The ACC is based in Charlotte, North Carolina. FSU's home courts in Tallahassee. So in both of these cases, the legal teams have agreed to file their next motions by February 16th. There's so much legalese in here. I'm trying to break it down as best as I can. It's just, it literally comes down to FSU wants to leave. ACC doesn't want them to leave. FSU makes them a lot of money. And they don't want them going anywhere. And I understand that. But FSU is like, y'all are not doing us right. You aren't handling us well. You're not giving us our opportunities. We want no more part of you. We want out. Let us go. And it's not happening. So we'll keep an eye on this story because there's going to be a lot more, especially coming up in February. We'll see if FSU has any leg to stand on or are they stuck in the ACC for the next 12 years? We'll find out. So for now, let's go check out the NFL news. So the NFL playoffs are in full swing. And so for a recap of where we at, Baltimore Ravens won a very decisive victory back on the 20th against the Houston Texans, 34-10. They locked in a spot in the AFC Championship game. They are going to face the Kansas City Chiefs on Sunday, the 28th. The Chiefs won against the Buffalo Bills, 27-24, after kicker Tyler Bass missed a game-tying 44-yard field goal late in the fourth quarter. Super ouch. We'll come back to Tyler. A critically missed field goal in the playoffs is a sight. It's all too familiar to fans in Buffalo. And Bass's misfire sent the NFL world down memory lane because they remembered there's this infamous missed field goal from the former Bills kicker, Scott Norwood, during Super Bowl, I think it was Super Bowl, sorry, I had to translate Roman numerals, Super Bowl 25. This was a game against the New York Giants, so the Bills versus the Giants. As for the NFC Championship game, the San Francisco 49ers beat the Green Bay Packers 24-21 back on Sunday the 20th. So they will move on to play the Detroit Lions, who won against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers 31-23. Side note, this year marks the fourth time that the Lions have been in the divisional round since its permanent creation back in 1967. And an NFC Championship game appearance in 1991 is the furthest the Lions have ever gone in the playoffs up until this point. So the opportunity to win this game and go to the Super Bowl is absolutely huge. This is a very big year for the Lions fans. And people are just so mad about the Chiefs winning. So I told you a moment I was going to come back to Tyler Bass. Tyler Bass, poor kicker, dude. Honestly, the way I, when I watch the video of the missed kick, it honestly, like he kicks it, it goes far right, like seriously way off uh, the field goal post. And I honestly believe it was a gust of wind, just watching the curvature of of that ball, because it looked like it was going to go straight for a moment and then it curved off. This poor kid, he has had death threats from people to the point where he has deleted his social media. That is not cool. That is not cool at all. That is so wrong to blame him for this okay miss kick look y'all 
the miss the, the kick would have only have tied the game somebody was still going to have to score more points in order for the game to be over so okay did he help lose the game i think it was more than that he was not the only one that quote made a mistake so tyler gets all these death threats and some there's a couple fans that decide you know what this isn't cool this you guys are terrible we're going to do something nice and so a call out went out on twitter x to find out what is tyler's favorite charity and it, they started like this fundraiser of collecting money to show hey the fans are not that bad we're gonna take care of you and it was so cool so they found out that he has this charity for stray cats it's called the 10 lives club they put out the call and as of i think it was it was by the end of the 24th so the call went out on monday the 22nd by the end of the 24th the club the 10 lives club sorry i'm laughing because i'm just i'm in disbelief because i just checked the numbers they were like they had gotten several tens of thousands in the first couple of hours they're up to two hundred sixty thousand dollars in donations chiefs fans buffalo's fans fans from everywhere have rallied to support this charity because of how bass has been treated two hundred sixty thousand dollars to the 10 lives club cat rescue shelter in buffalo i am absolutely blown away by this this is absolutely insane and apparently rachel ray you know the chef with the tv show she's even pledging money because she's really big into rescue animals i I do know that um but yeah he he hasn't talked to reporters or anybody uh since the game uh, he was consoled by teammates. I mean, they were showing it here. I mean, he's only been in the NFL for four years. His entire career has been with the Bills. And he was first introduced to the 10 Lives Club about two years ago through a nonprofit. And this is a no-profit, no no-kill shelter that was established about 24 years ago. And he l- fell in love with this place, like, just constantly trying to, to, you know, get him food and medical services. And that's where all of this money is going to go. So that's a really nice little side note that I found uh, amidst everything else. But horrible, horrible treatment of this guy. But the fans, they've rallied. And that's amazing. And the donations continuing to pour in. But not only that. So people apparently are getting a little bit tired of the Taylor Swift, Travis Kelsey romance of the NFL. Okay, I'm going to drop the link below. Because if you didn't see this game, there were several epic moments of the crowd. All right. So Travis has a brother named Jason Kelsey. And he played, I'm going to say past tense now because I just remembered. Um, He's a player for the Philadelphia Eagles. And there were rumors on Sunday that he may be retiring. He has since confirmed those rumors. So, sorry, slight sidetrack. The whole Kelsey family is there. We're talking... We got Mama Kelsey, we've got Jason and his wife, Kylie, Taylor's up there, all the family and friends everywhere. And they're all watching this game. They're all in the VIP suite. Okay, so first quarter of the game, Travis scores. This is his first touchdown in eight games. And he looks up and he aims like this little heart celebration at Taylor. Now, 
If you're familiar with Taylor Swift at all, you'll know what I'm talking about. This is where she does the little signature she does at the concerts where she curls her hands and she makes a little heart gesture with her hands. And so he aims it towards the booth. Then the camera pans up to the booth and boom, there's Jason Kelsey ripping his shirt off in the freezing weather. It's less than 20 degrees and he's up top, so it's even colder. Y'all, he's climbing out the window, just roaring into the night without this top on, holding a can of beer and then chugging it. This dude is a legend. And you can see his wife in the background just about to lose it. There have been people who have taken the snippet of the video of him throwing his arms back, throwing his head back, you know, screaming upwards in celebration. And they've superimposed the the roar of the T-Rex from Jurassic Park. The, the edits I've been seeing are just absolutely epic. It's, it's hilarious. Social media, they're going pretty nuts over this. And it really is amazing to see the level of support. Travis has his biggest fan, but right now I'm not 100% sure if it's Taylor or his brother Jason at this point. But congratulations to all the teams, and I'm looking forward to seeing who makes it to the Super Bowl. We will update you with the scores as they happen. Now, moving over to boxing. YouTube boxing, to be precise. YouTuber boxing is literally you know, boxing matches featuring YouTuber personalities. And when YouTuber boxing events kind of started out, they weren't like exactly small, but they also couldn't match the presentation of a massive heavyweight title fight. There were plenty of hype going on around. Uh, there was KSI versus Joe Weller, and then KSI took on Logan Paul. But things have gone up a notch in the last few years. The move to professional fights rather than just pure exhibitions has really helped too. And Paul, Jake Paul's ambition to fight, quote, real boxers instead of having these crossover events, this has really helped to kind of push this it's it's a sport i mean look they're legitimately boxing uh it's just a bunch of personalities that you know have always just been on camera on youtube so it's a little different and the jake paul has even managed to follow in the footsteps of anthony joshua and tyson fury by having these huge moneyed fights in saudi arabia however we probably shouldn't expect to see many more of those fights look Saudi Arabia has pretty much become the home for massive boxing fights in recent years, even more so than Vegas, especially with all the money that gets thrown behind these matches. There's a lot of money in Saudi Arabia. Jake's fight with Tommy has been the only YouTuber event to be held there so far. And at this rate, it's probably going to be the last, at least for the foreseeable future. Uh, there's a, a gentleman by the name of Turkey Al Sheikh. He's the chairman of General Entertainment Authority over in Saudi Arabia. And he said this, please, we don't want any YouTuber fights again. I don't talk about names. I want fighters. I want fighters. This is what I support. Maybe another section in the GEA, the, the general area of the uh, Arab countries, will do something like this for the fans to make them happy, but not me. I want fighters. I want to see the fighters, end quote. So it sounds to me like he doesn't take the YouTubers seriously. Jake Paul's next fight is, I'm checking my calendar. It's happening in Puerto Rico, 
on March the 2nd. And there has been a very long-awaited rematch with Tommy being talked about, too. But giving, given Tommy Fury's inability to enter the United States, that match is either going to be over in the UK, Saudi Arabia, if they're going to allow it. But this one's an absolute wait and see if the match one is even going to happen. I mean, they haven't scheduled it yet. They don't have the venue for it yet. Everybody just wants it. But right now, Saudi Arabia looks like it's off the table. It just doesn't look like they're taking it seriously. They don't see the longevity of it. You know, bring back the big matches and the big, you know, big fights, the heavyweight fights, but not the YouTubers. No more YouTubers. All right, let's go check out some entertainment news. For the wrestling fans across generations, one of the WWE's best-known wrestlers is Hall of Famer Hulk Hogan. Back on January the 14th, Hogan was reportedly driving with a friend when they stopped to respond to an accident down in Clearwater, Florida. Hogan, 70 years old by the way, being among one of the first responders to the accident, he ended up helping to rescue a teenage girl whose car had flipped in the accident. So he goes to the scene and so she's, you know, she's trapped in the car. She can't get out. She's stuck. What's got her stuck? Well, her airbag is keeping her pinned in place. So he goes to help her out and uses the only tool that he had on hand, a ballpoint pen. According to a post by Sky Daily, who is Hogan's wife, the driver was shaken up, but otherwise she was uninjured and posted on social media. Last night, after we left dinner in Tampa, we saw a car flip in front of us. I truly admire my husband, Hogan, and our good buddy, Jake Rask, for springing into action, puncturing the girl's airbag and getting her quickly out of the car. By all appearances, she was unscathed, just really rattled. What an absolute miracle. So this incident, he rescued a girl, is what it comes down to, uh, using a ballpoint pen to pop the airbag. Who would have thunk it? This comes one month after Hulk Hogan, whose real name is Terry Bollea, and his wife Skye were both baptized in a ceremony at Indian Rocks Baptist Church in Florida. Just And that was four months after they just got married. So they got married in September, baptized in December, Rescued a girl from a car in January. Busy couple of months. But wonderful ending all around. And local authorities said that despite the severity of the multi-car crash that they observed, there were only minor injuries. Pretty awesome. But let's go ahead and flip over. We got a little bit of bad news to talk about. Let's talk about Jonathan Majors. Jonathan Majors, he was once considered to be like the next big thing because of his performance as Kang in Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. But Majors has some major legal issues, sorry, pun there, uh, that began back in March when he was accused of physically harming his then-girlfriend in the back of a private taxi. That case ended up going to trial. 
he was found guilty by a jury of misdemeanor charges of assault and harassment. Now, up until that point, Majors had not officially, officially, officially fired by Marvel Studios, but they really didn't take much time after that guilty verdict had come down to make it an official firing. And now for the worst news. Um, previously, it was reported that Magazine Dreams, which is a, a movie that's in production, it's a Majors-led drama from the Disney-owned studio Searchlight Pictures. It had been pulled from its release in December of 2023. So it was already ready to come out. And they pulled it because of all this, pro this stuff. So per The Hollywood Reporter, it's now been revealed the film may have been entirely shelved. Officially, Searchlight has stayed, I'd say, pretty quiet about the whole thing, about the whole legal battle and the potential release plans for Magazine Dreams. But insiders reportedly are saying that they're not seeing a scenario right now in which Searchlight opens the movie on the big screen. But at this point, it's also highly unlikely that they're going to take it straight to streaming, such as on Hulu or Disney+, Plus, as the marketing would be, quote, too problematic, given the film's themes of violence and Majors' real-life conviction for uh, assault and harassment. The movie is about, it looks like it's about a bodybuilder and his coming up through the, the ranks of bodybuilding. So apparently there's some violence in the movie. Don't really know too much about it yet. The bright side for Majors is that there is still a chance that Magazine Dreams will see its release somehow, even if it won't have any association with Disney. There are some sources that are really close to the project saying, that Searchlight might return the rights to the filmmakers who could then shop it around to a different distributor. There may still be some challenges with finding a new buyer, but especially given Majors is attached as the executive producer as well as the lead star. So there's kind of a double whammy there. What will help the movie's odds of seeing the light of day really is the high acclaim that it garnered ahead of Majors' legal troubles. They did a world premiere in 2023 at the Sundance Film Festival about two months before his arrest. And it was touted as this iconic performance. He spent 18 months in training for his preparation in this role as this bodybuilder. And some critics were even comparing his performance to Robert De Niro's uh portrayal as the titular character in Taxi Driver. And reportedly, Searchlight was kind of already plotting an awards season campaign with the film. Bad timing. Despite everything, Majors continues to maintain that he is an innocent party, insisting he never physically harmed his ex-girlfriend. In other movie news, it has been announced that a biopic about the world's most recognizable fitness guru is on the way. Today, we're going to talk about New Year's. So, Happy New Year's! That's right, we're talking Richard Simmons. And the announcement, not only are they doing the biopic, but Polly Shore, of all people, will be playing Richard Simmons in the biopic. Oh, look, I was skeptical. I admit, I was pretty skeptical when I heard about this casting. But then I saw the pictures, and Shore is absolutely believable as Simmons. You have got charisma! But there seems to be a problem. All right, what is the problem? Just hours after the announcement of the casting was made, 
the reclusive fitness guru has actually spoken out against the film. Simmons wrote on Facebook, Hi, everybody. You may have heard they may be doing a movie about me with Polly Shore. I have never given my permission for this movie, so don't believe everything you read. I no longer have a manager, and I no longer have a publicist. I just try to live a quiet life and be peaceful. Thank you for all of your love and support. Simmons it was one of the most famous names in fitness, and he barely became a household name due to his, uh, for lack of a better term, flamboyant, eccentric personality and his successful line of sweat into the oldies aerobics videos. He made frequent appearances on Late Night with David Letterman, The Ellen DeGeneres Show, Howard Stern, many more. Uh, he was absolutely hysterical in Whose Line Is It Anyway? That was fantastic. Uh, he you know, just touted his weight loss strategies and gave his advice. But 2014 comes around and he kind of just disappears, just mysteriously up and leaves public life. And there was widespread concern among his fans and his followers. Well, in 2016, uh, he did a phone interview with the Today Show and said, no one's holding me in my house as a hostage. He just simply prefers his privacy these days. So despite not receiving Simmons's blessing to play him in a feature film, Polly Shore did say in a statement, I'm really excited about sharing Richard Simmons's life with the world. We all need this biopic now more than ever. Simmons represented mental health, getting people in shape, and being his authentic, silly self. Whenever he was on TV, you could never take your eyes off of him, and he just brought such a joy to his appearances that represented nothing but a good time. Now, in a statement to Variety, the Wolper organization, who is funding the film, said, while we would love to have Simmons involved, we do respect his desire to privacy and plan to produce a movie that honors him, celebrates him, and tells a dramatic story. They also added, we know he's a deeply private person and we would never want to invade that. However, he is an amazing person that changed millions of people's lives. And the effect that he has had on the world needs to be recognized, unquote. So I have mixed feelings about this one. I believe Pauly Shore is going to be great. He is really an underrated actor. He's very smart. I feel he can pull this off. But on the other hand, the subject of the movie, Richard Simmons himself, didn't give his permission. So to me, it doesn't seem right or respectful for them to continue making the movie under those conditions. So, I mean, it sounds like it's going to be a cool movie, but I'm torn. But we'll have to wait we're just gonna have to wait on this one and see if they're going to continue with it they did do a short film that was posted on youtube last week after the sundance film festival with Polly shore as richard simmons it was kind of like a you know testing the waters and it was well received so it's almost like the audience kind of gave the green light for them to do this movie even if simmons did not but there is another movie that is being talked about that if it can get off the ground, I'm going to be excited to see this one. Don't recognize that music? 
fans of the 1980 film Rocky IV might recognize it as the theme for Ivan Drago. So Dolph Lundgren, who played the character back in 85, did a recent interview with Screen Rant and discussed new story details about the franchise spinoff of Drago, saying the movie is still in development but has suffered delays due to the success of Creed Three, the other spinoff. Look, a Drago spinoff would just be absolutely epic. Now, Drago, you remember Rocky IV, he was the... Uh, the Russian fighter, the main antagonist, the rival of Rocky, the guy who was responsible for the death of Apollo Creed. Now, he made an appearance in Creed 2, along with the, a new character, his son, Victor. The Drago spinoff featuring London, Lundgren, excuse me, and his character's son has not faced a total knockout in regards to production, but it's just on hold. The studio is currently focusing on Creed 4. And Lundgren said the Drago movie was making steady progress. They had an interesting script going. It's just it kind of fell down the priority ladder. He said MGM was developing the script. And I think what happened was the studio changed leadership. Creed 3 did very well. And we started prepping for Creed 4. And this was last year. And then now there's a problem with the co-star in Creed 4. And that storyline they had on the Drago script was interesting. It was kind of a coming to America, kind of an immigration angle with me and the son. And it was pretty cool. It just so happened that in Creed 2, we're in the Ukraine in the beginning. And that's where the movie opens, even though it's not really mentioned too much exactly where we are. But in the script, uh, the version that I read, it starts with a Russian invasion. And in that, we go through some hard, difficult experiences that makes us want to come to America. So it was kind of interesting, unquote. The talks of the spinoff came not long after he reprised his Rocky role in the 2018 film Creed II, where he sees, we're seeing him train his son, Victor, uh, to take on Adonis Creed, uh, played by Michael B. Jordan. They made an announcement back in July, I think it was July of 22, talking about a Drago film in the works, but that's kind of as much as we've heard about it. You know, um, Michael B. Jordan's Creed has really taken off. You know, he's now producing, he or directing, I'm sorry, he's, a, he's directing the Creed series now. Now, what about Stallone? You know, we saw him in the first Creed movie, and... He's now kind of speaking out against the Creed spinoffs. He went on this rant on Instagram that he shared back in August of 2022. He later deleted it, but he dubbed the producers parasites for exploiting the franchise that he created, but also called out Dolph for not being vocal about their plans. And Stallone has pulled like no punches when expressing his displeasure over the state of the Rocky franchise. He previously condemned producer Erwin Winkler for withholding ownership of the franchise and the sequel series of Creed, saying it's a subject that just eats at his soul because he wanted to leave something of Rocky for his kids. So whether London returns to play Drago again remains to be seen. With Creed four on the way, Jordan doing his directorial debut with three, and that he's absolutely doing four, he's directing four, along with other spinoffs to expand the, the Creed universe. Hopefully we will see it soon because he is an amazing actor and that character was scary as heck for a younger kid to watch. I mean, just watching him beat down on Apollo 
the way he did. And the man has lost no power in the last 30 plus years. So I would love to see uh, Drago come to the to the screen, whether it's the big screen or the small screen. I think it would be a fascinating movie to see. Uh, so hopefully we'll see some progress on that one. So moving on, we're still talking a little bit of filming here, but let's talk about some legal issues. And I'm going to bring up Alec Baldwin, if we must. Alec Baldwin is facing yet another involuntary manslaughter charge relating to the death of the cinematographer on the set of the movie Rust. Her name was Helena Hutchins, and this was back in 2021. Hutchins died on the set of the still-yet-to-be-released film after a Colt 45 revolver discharged a live round while in Baldwin's hand. Baldwin was hit with an involuntary manslaughter charge back in January of 23, with prosecutors alleging the star hadn't taken proper precautions before pointing the weapon at someone on the set. Bad move, dude. At the time, the star and his defense pointed the blame at the revolver, suggesting that it had malfunctioned, and Baldwin said, I didn't pull the trigger. They dropped the charges in April of 23, but it's now being reported that he's been indicted again. So they continued the investigations past the decision back last spring, and prosecutors Carrie Morrissey and Jason Lewis sent the Colt 45 off to forensic testing for closer analysis, as they should. The results they and their experts say suggest that the weapon only could have been fired if the trigger had been pulled. Oh, snap. Their report went on to say this fatal incident with was the consequence of the hammer being manually retracted to its full cocked position. And at some point by the pull or the depression of the trigger, although Alec Baldwin repeatedly denies pulling the trigger given the test, trigger, excuse me, given the test, Findings and observations reported here the trigger had to be pulled or depressed sufficiently to release a fully cocked or retracted hammer of the evidence revolver. If convicted, Baldwin could serve up to 18 months in prison. I am doubtful that he'll serve anything at all. Rust has finished the filming phase as every angle of the incident is investigated. And for example, investigators regarding how a live round was even loaded into the Colt 45 are ongoing. The armorer of Rust, Hannah Gutierrez-Reed, who is said to have loaded the weapon, is going on trial next month for charges of involuntary manslaughter and tampering with evidence. In other legal news, TikTok. Yay, TikTok. They've been hit with a lawsuit from the actual state of Iowa over the platform's age rating, claiming that it's deceiving parents when it comes to the content inside the app. Don't stop Over the last few years, I guess, many, many U.S. government officials, both state and federal, have issued complaints against TikTok, with some even filing lawsuits against the company. Some even tried to ban the app completely. The state of Montana attempted this back in mid of 2023. But now the Iowa General Attorney, uh, Brenna Bird is her name, she's filed a lawsuit against TikTok for deceiving parents with the incorrect app store age rating so the iowa department of justice revealed the reason behind the lawsuit in a press release release back on the 17th of january 
It says, today, Iowa Attorney General Brenna Byrd sued TikTok for deceiving Iowans, particularly parents, by lying about children's widespread access to inappropriate content on its social media app. It's time we shine a light on TikTok for exposing young children to graphic materials, such as sexual content, self-harm, illegal drug use, and worse. TikTok has sneaked past parental block by misrepresenting the severity of its content. But no longer. As a mom and a prosecutor, I am committed to equipping parents with information to keep their kids safe and to holding TikTok accountable. The lawsuit also explains that Iowa believes that TikTok has given the app an age rating that is lower than what it should be compared to the content that people can see and that is being shared. But neither TikTok nor its parent company of ByteDance have responded to the lawsuit. So as soon as we hear something, we're going to update you as soon as we find out. I I remember when they tried to do the ban in Montana. It really didn't go very far. People kind of laughed about it and, you know, screamed about, well, well, parents just need to monitor the kids. Yes. Yes, absolutely. I will not argue with that point. But does, and this is the question, I guess, do the makers of apps like TikTok have this responsibility to make sure that their content is represented properly. This age rating thing, it, how low, how much lower is the rating that is listed versus the content? The The content that I can see on there, I mean, obviously the, the, with the algorithms and such, I can see where it could be kind of, you know, racy in some cases, but I'm also over the age of 18. So how old are these kids that are seeing these TikToks? Look, I, you know, I, I, I read the news. I, I've seen, and it's really young. A lot of these kids are just super young doing all these TikTok challenges that are just absolutely ridiculous. But how much, how much of it is TikTok's fault? How much of it is the parents? Remains to be seen. Enough of that mess, though. Let's go download some gaming news. The name Billy Mitchell is pretty infamous in the world of old school gaming. He achieved fame throughout the 80s and the 90s through claiming numerous records on classic video games. So he had like a perfect score on Pac-Man. Twin Galaxies and the Guinness World Records recognized Mitchell as the holder of several records on these classic games. And he's appeared in several documentaries on competitive gaming and retro gaming. However, back in 2017, the legitimacy of a number of his records was called into question, leading to Twin Galaxies stripping Mitchell of his records. All right, now, nearly six years after the dispute first began, Billy Mitchell's record Donkey Kong score has been officially restored by Twin Galaxies. Kind of. In a statement posted on his website, Twin Galaxies announced that all of Mitchell's scores have been reinstated as a part of a historical database on its website. Twin Galaxies described its historical database as a legacy snapshot for preserving performances prior to 2014 when the site came under new ownership. So 
Mitchell has been previously banned and his scores removed in 2018 after accusations of using improper hardware. So apparently there, um, there was some emulator uh, accusations. He's still not listed on the modern leaderboards and he is still banned from Twin Galaxies. So how did the ban even come about? Mitchell was originally banned from Twin Galaxies after a poster put up on the forum evidence that Mitchell may have been playing on MAME, which is a well-known arcade emulator, which is in violation of the site's rules. Mitchell's records were also expunged from the Guinness Book of World Records, but they were restored back in 2020 after eyewitnesses' accounts and expert gameplay analysts and hardware verification went through. They revalidated his record. So the scores were restored following a very long court battle between Mitchell and Twin Galaxies. Mitchell accused TG of defamation after it removed his records back in 2018, but they settled the suit just a couple days ago, and this was months before it was even set to go to trial. While the exact terms of the settlement were not revealed and probably will never know, the the republication of the scores as part of a historical archive seems likely to be part of the deal. Now, TG's attorney, uh, David Tashrudian, attributed the decision to a settlement intended just to avoid a lengthy lawsuit and just achieve this degree of finality. TG also points to testimony by an engineering expert working on behalf of Mitchell who determined that Mitchell's hardware may actually be unmodified after all. He said there were visual anomalies that could potentially be attributed to just aging hardware components and that the videotapes submitted for evidence were just copies of copies. So, all right, long story short, the lawsuit's over. Mitchell's not on the current leaderboards. He's on the historical records chart. He's still banned, and the gaming community is still saying he's a cheater. Not really sure who won here, but... At least Mitchell is keeping himself relevant, I suppose. Our next story. Wow. Did this one get people mad? And they are still talking about it. So this past week, Ubisoft kind of rejiggered their subscription model. But to sell players and the industry on their new move, one company executive kind of misconstrued why gamers and developers may not be so keen to pony up monthly for their games. Ubisoft's head of subscriptions, Philippe Tremblay, offered a fair few innocuous comments in an interview with GI.biz, but then said something that could, just could. I mean, look, people were mad. Particularly upsetting for players who have long been taken for a ride by largely anti-consumer game industry. And Tremblay said, players are used to owning the games they play but they have got comfortable not owning their music or movie collection. Why shouldn't players get comfortable with not owning the product they pay for and instead accept the streaming model as a whole? All right, let that sink in for just a moment. He's now saying Ubisoft's going to start looking towards a subscription model. You don't own your game. Instead of offering two pricing tiers for Ubisoft Plus's previous 
what they call multi-access and PC access. They now are just under this premium umbrella of $18 per month. This gives players access to old games, some early release titles, and some other monthly rewards. There's an additional $8 per month for their what they call the Ubisoft Plus Classics on PC, which is supposed to give enthusiasts access to some of the older titles. All those titles are also available on PlayStation Plus, but the Ubisoft executive, he kind of seems to think gamers are concerned about losing their progress or that their games could get pulled. Tremblay went on to say, as people embrace that model, they will see that these games will exist, the service will continue, and you'll be able to have access to them whenever you feel like it. Okay. Despite his claims, though, these services and the games on them are not going to be... They're, they're, look, we've got reports where games are being shut down and services are being pulled. These are not going to be able to be accessed whenever I feel like it. Access to Ubisoft's titles really exists at the whim of the provider. And if you stop paying for PlayStation Plus after, you know, Sony did a price hike last year and you, you lose your subscription, all of a sudden, the games you were playing are barred to you. That's the nature of the beast. And if Sony unexpectedly bans you from their online services, that's it. You have no access to anything and everything you paid for. So the director's comments drew so much anger and derision from players and developers. Sven Vinky, who is the founder of Larian Studios, y'all know that, that name? That's Baldur's Gate 3. He went on to Twitter X. If subscriptions become the dominant model, only a select group would get to decide if games like Larian's Baldur's Gate 3 could make it to the market in the first place. He said, we are already all dependent on a select group of digital distribution platforms and discoverability is brutal. Should those platforms all switch to subscription, it's just going to become savage. Now, Vinky has previously stressed he didn't want to put his game on Game Pass or other subscription platforms. One of the greatest things impacting the market right now, though, is the loss of physical media. That has impacted the very nature of ownership. Most of the world's most popular online game shops offer players just a license to play the game, meaning you don't actually have a right to that title. I have a stack of discs and CDs in one of my back rooms of games that I've collected over the years. Guys, I even have the 3.5 floppy disk of Doom 2 that I used to play when I was a kid. I have all this stuff. It's physically mine. If I could get a system to run it, I might actually run it on there. I have my original copies of Dragon Age. I have original copies of a whole bunch of stuff uh, that would now all be digital. And if I only have the digital copies and they decide to shut that service down, I'm doomed. I'm screwed. Most digital stores, terms of service, the state, if you read it, and how many of us really do, they'll pull your media at any time should they want to. This happened before. On the PlayStation Store, Sony removed access to movies that some users had bought through that service back in 2022. And you remember, a couple couple weeks ago, we were talking about discovery content on Sony. Back in December, Sony said users are going to lose discovery content that they had previously purchased because of licensing problems. Now, is let's let's be realistic though. Is Ubisoft going to lose access to any of its titles? Unlikely, but that's not the point. The more players who are tied to a subscription service, 
the more major publishers stop trying to offer different ways to purchase games. And now Ubisoft is facing a lawsuit regarding the removal of a digital title. The issue comes from a cancellation and shutting down of a fan favorite title. We reported on this back in December. And although fans have had just, you know, a couple weeks to come to terms with the news, not all of them are going to are accepting this. There's a YouTuber by the name of Ross Scott. He goes by Accursed Farms. And he's made it known he intends to file a class action lawsuit against the publishers for how it, quote, took money from gamers under the guise of a perpetual license. But Scott claims that's not what they received. The game in question is The Crew. Now, he says, I think the argument to make is that The Crew was sold under a perpetual license, not a subscription. So we were being sold a good, not a service. But then the seller rendered the game unusable and deprived it of all value after the point of sale. This is a high-profile game that was sold in stores under a perpetual license, and buyers are going to be left with nothing. This is about as perfect an opportunity as we're going to get to challenge the system on this. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for them. It is indeed a very bold move, and though... We're not really certain the YouTuber is going to be able to pull this off. The lawsuit might not even happen yet. Scott is still amassing evidence from others affected by the closure of the game to see if the lawsuit has actual potential. And what's more, he is anticipating that Ubisoft could go for a no-fault settlement, but that's a move he's going to push back against. He said, in that scenario, if I have any say in the matter, I will push to not accept any offer like that. The point is actually bigger than the game, and it's bigger than Ubisoft. I'm trying to stop games people want to keep and pay money from being destroyed. So in the meantime, the commenters and the gamers and the tweeters all started to sing. Yo, ho, all together, hoist the colors Yes, indeed, I detect a little bit of piracy about to happen. Look, this sucks. I'm not going to mince words. I mean, these publishers are demanding that we as consumers and gamers pay $50, $60, $80, upwards to $250 for a game that we won't be able to keep or have access to because some guy in an office decides that they want to cancel the server. I mean, that is pretty much tantamount to robbery. That's what I'm going to say about that one. So we're going to keep an eye on that lawsuit and see if that if anything happens with that one. Um, in the meantime, Ubisoft representatives and executives, they have not issued any kind of an apology for the statements that they made, and the gaming community is still pretty cheesed about it. So let's go uh, take a moment now, and uh, let's go check out the box office, shall we? It's time for the box office breakdown. We had some mean girls as queens at the box office last week, but were they dethroned? It's a cautionary tale of fear and lust and pride based on actual events where people die. No one died, but how far would you go to be popular and hot? Would you resist temptation? No, you would not. No, no, they weren't dethroned at all. And honestly, 
the entire top five remained the same from last week. It's a couple of different numbers. Newcomer ISS didn't have enough to knock anyone out of their spaces. So Mean Girls added 11.7 million in its second weekend of release, bringing its domestic tally to 50 million. Ticket sales, they dropped pretty steep, though, 59% from its debut, but the film's decline is cushioned. Look, y'all, they only had $36 million in the budget, so this makes their box office performance pretty awesome. The Beekeeper, the action thriller directed by David Ayer, remained in second place with 8.3, and so far, the film starring Jason Statham as a former operative who exacts revenge on behalf of a friend, they've generated nearly $31 million in North America. Wonka, the fantasy musical starring Timothy Chalamet as the chocolatier, claimed third place again, $6.7 million. This film has per- had some pretty good staying power since the holidays, and after six weeks of release, it's still in the top five, and it's generated $187 million in North America. So, uh, this one was $100, I wish. Try that again. $100 million to produce this. So this is a pretty nice little little movie for Warner Brothers and the cinema operators. The R-rated romantic comedy Anyone But You landed again at the fourth spot with $5.4 million. After five weekends, this one's grossed 64.2. It was a slow starter, but it's uh, worked its way up. Migration, Universal and Illumination's animated adventure glided to fifth place with $5.3 million. Had a budget of $72 million, was also released around Christmas and has gained 94.6 in North America alone. The only big newcomer this weekend was ISS. The thriller about astronauts in space going at each other's throats. They crash landed in seventh place collecting $3 million in its debut. This movie was plagued by some negative reviews and had a cinema score of C- from the audience members. We've hit with, which is called, this is a time of year that's called the, they called it, the January doldrums. There's not a lot of big releases coming out. We're not going to really see those until around like spring break, which is March-ish. But this coming weekend is going to see the release of Miller's Girl, which is a psychological thriller from Lionsgate. It stars Jenny Ortega from Netflix's Wednesday. As a college student whose relationship with her professor, uh, who's played by Martin Freeman from the Hobbit trilogy and BBC's Sherlock, that takes a complicated and perhaps a sinister turn. How honestly, though, looking ahead, I think a lot of people are starting to look forward to February 2nd, next Friday. Well, it's Groundhog Day. Again? Okay. okay. Yes, yes, it is. But it's not just for that. Although I think it is time to queue up my yearly Groundhog's Day viewing marathon. But no, no. February second is the release for Argyle. This is an upcoming spy action comedy that has a really huge ensemble cast. We're talking Henry Cavill, Bryce Dallas Howard, Sam Rockwell, Brian Cranston, Catherine O'Hara, Dua Lipa. Ariana DeBose, John Cena, and Samuel L. Jackson. Huge. I've checked out the previews. This looks like some wicked, wicked fun. And there were a lot of commenters in the uh, the comment section that were saying, this kind of looks like Henry Cavill's audition to be the next James Bond. They are on the hunt for a new one. And to be honest, true honesty here, 
if they cast him as Bond, I will go back to the franchise. They lost me. I quit watching it a couple movies ago. They lost me with Daniel Craig. I was not a fan of Daniel Craig. Sorry. But we still have a week before this one comes out. So let's see how the rankings end up after this coming weekend. But that's enough for the movies for now. Let's go see what odd news has popped up. And now for something different. Old buildings can be just absolutely full of secrets. I mean, we're talking about things hiding in the floors and the walls to secreted rooms, really weird, creepy basements. You just, you never know what you're going to find during a renovation. So, Seattle, Washington, we've got a contractor working on a remodeling job, and he was removing a bathtub from a home when he made a very surprising discovery inside of the wall. It's the bomb! Okay, not 100% a bomb. It was a grenade, to be more precise. Vadim Karkavi, who is the owner of Polar Bear Construction, said he tore out the tub in the third floor bathroom of this home in Seattle's Ballard neighborhood and revealed a, what I tell y'all, hidden compartment in the wall and an object that appeared to be a grenade. Karkavi returned to the bathroom and captured video of the grenade, which he posted to his company's TikTok. He said, I rushed out of there, took a breath, and actually went back in and recorded the situation. I zoomed in on my phone and took a closer peek. I'm like, that's an actual freaking grenade. The Seattle Police Department's bomb squad responded to the home and confirmed the object was a grenade, but thankfully, it was inert. Karkavi said they mentioned something about World War II and how veterans came home and they brought weapons and stuff with them and someone stored it there and probably forgot about it. Thank goodness it was inert, but holy cow, what a very cool story to tell your friends and family. Okay, now I've made this next joke before, and I'm not sorry to say I'm going to do it again. Enough is enough! I have had it with these monkey-fighting snakes on this Monday to Friday plane! Well, it happened again. Passengers on an AirAsia Thailand flight from Bangkok to Phuket captured video of a scene straight out of the movies y'all it was a snake on a plane a video that went viral on tiktok shows a flight attendant trying to capture the small snake slithering slithering on top of the overhead bin the attendant initially tries to get the snake to slither into this plastic bottle but just ends up using the bottle to just nudge the snake into a plastic bag the head of corporate safety of Air Asia Thailand confirmed the incident aboard flight FD-3015, which departed January 13th from Don Muang International Airport in Bangkok. They said flight attendants were notified before landing in Phuket after a passenger noticed a small snake in the overhead luggage compartment. Air Asia crew are well trained to handle an occurrence of this nature and relocated passengers from the area as a precautionary measure. It was said the plane was inspected after landing to assure that there were no other, no other slithering stowaways, as it may seem. As per standard procedure after the incident of this nature, the aircraft underwent a deep clean and fumigation before being put back into operations. It is said that snake spotting is a very rare incident, but a snake was pre- previously found aboard an AirAsia flight from Kuala Lumpur, to Sabah in Malaysia back in February of 2022. The plane was diverted to Kuching International Airport in Sarawak. Okay, you know, y'all, that's a no for me. Look, I know that God put snakes on this earth. 
Snakes are one of God's creatures. They have every right to be on this planet, but they don't have the right to occupy my airspace. Thank you and good night. Over in Italy, dog owners, you have been warned. There's an Italian province that's now turning to DNA tests to tackle the scourge of dog mess on the streets. Oh boy, pick up your poop, people. Pick up your poop. Okay, so once a dog DNA registration database is up and running, street cleaners and health officials in the area of Bolzano will be able to collect abandoned poop and have it genetically tested, tracing the owners who will then face a fine of 50 to 500 euros, which is about $54 to $540 in American dollars. Any owner who refuses the DNA profiling of their dog will face a fine of 292 to 1,048 euros. The provincial government covering Bolzano City and the surrounding towns in the picturesque Dolomites region is creating this database for the almost 40,000 dogs in the area. Veterinary Department Director Paolo Zambato said, now about 10,000 dogs have been registered so far. He told routers, Bolzano receives a few hundred complaints a year from citizens about improper management of public land and more than half are for dogs. Law enforcement can only catch three or four of them because they have to go there and set up some sort of stakeout. DNA registration for the dogs will become compulsory from around late March. Owners will be expected to have a blood test for their dog in municipal dog shelters or vet clinics, and it's going to cost anywhere from 65 to over 100 euros per test. Uh, the veterinary department director didn't give an estimated cost for this project with the detection and administration expenses are expected to be covered from the fines that they'll collect. Bozano is a mountainous German-speaking province near Austria and has wide autonomy in making its own rules. Zambato said other Italian cities have been in touch to potentially replicate this law. Now, if you're just visiting, rest assured, tourists and non-residents are exempted from the regulation. But y'all don't be nasty. Pick up your dog's poop, okay? And finally, we come to this one. By now, most people have heard of the whole Stanley Cup thing. I'm not talking about the hockey cup. I'm talking about the ice cold holding water cup thing some background stanley was founded back in 1913 and they became known for creating these ultra durable and very sleek drinkware and food storage options and so they came up with this cup called the quencher it's a 40 ounce vacuum insulated cup and it's said to keep drinks cold for up to 11 hours hot for seven hours and can even hold ice for up to about two days and because of its large size, the fact that it has a handle, huge plus. So it makes it carrying to the office or toting it around for, you know, workouts or what have you and walks. It's a lot easier and it's cool that it's dishwasher safe. So, you know, major bonuses there. And it's been a very popular cup. But earlier this month, we had a lot of crazy people and a lot of mayhem erupt over these tumblers. Stanley released two new quenchers, a hot pink and a red color as part of their Galentine's collection. This was released back on December the 31st, and it was sold exclusively at Target. Now, on January 3rd, they released another one called the Winter Pink Tumbler at Target in collaboration with Starbucks. And in both cases, customers could only purchase the tumblers in limited quantities. I think it was like two per person. 
And these things, they sold out online, and there was just chaos, shopping chaos. I'm talking Black Friday kind of chaos. There were women lined up outside waiting for the stores to open. They were bumping each other around. I did see one video of women that were fist fighting over these things. And it goes even further than that. Back on January the 17th, police in Roseville, California, discovered a 23-year-old woman had allegedly absconded with 65 Stanley Clips from a nearby store. That was worth nearly $2,500. $2,500 of Stanley Cups. The, the Roseville Police Department said in a statement on Facebook, staff saw a woman take a shopping cart full of Stanley water bottles without paying for them. After being confronted by retail staff, the woman refused to stop stuffing the cups into her car. She was subsequently arrested on a charge of grand theft and has yet to be identified by officers. The police have added, while the Stanley quenchers are all the rage, we strongly advise against turning to crime to fulfill your hydration habits. Now, one commenter on the post from the Roseville Police Department pointed out that in addition to the trove of cups in the trunk and the front seat, there was also a bright red Stanley cup in the cup holder, which they hoped police also confiscated. All right, y'all, it's a cup. It's a bunch of pink and red cups. Is this worth fighting over, or do we just not have anything else better to do? You know what? I'm going to take my blue cup. I'm just going to go sit in the corner because y'all crazy. Well, we covered a lot today, didn't we? We got to talk about the Madonna lawsuit and the FSU fiasco. We talked about Hulk Hogan's awesome rescue of a girl. We have uh, Alec Baldwin back in trouble, and we might be getting a Drago Rocky spinoff. TikTok getting sued again. Ubisoft just keeps making the fan base mad. We got some mean girls still being queens. Grenades, snakes, poop, and cups. Whew, Okay. Thank you guys so much for joining me today. I do want to remind you, I include the links to all of my sources in the comments so you can see what I see and more. Also, don't forget to drop us a comment or send us an email if there's a story you want us to cover. Join us next time as we check out the latest in the entertainment world. Remember guys, stay comfy in that starter zone. This is Amanda. Good luck and have fun. Listening to The Starter Zone with Amanda. I am Raven. We thank you for your time and support. Without you, we simply would not be. Please hit that like and subscribe button and visit us on Facebook and Twitter at The Starter Zone. Have we missed something? Have something to say? Leave us a comment or send us audio clips for your chance to be on the show. We invite you to come back for more exciting news and commentary on the world around you. See you next time in the Starter Zone.